Welcome to the Come Follow Me Weekly Wisdom Podcast. My goal is to deepen your faith in and love for Jesus Christ and his gospel. You can best support these podcasts by purchasing one of my books, The Divine Nature and His Voice, The Teachings of the Old and New Testament. These books can be purchased on Amazon or by visiting my website, www.unfoldingthescriptures.com. Thank you. Hello, I hope everyone is doing well. I know it's a strange time in the world with the pandemic. I hope that you're all safe and hope that the time when we can return to some some more of a normality in our life will be coming shortly. It, as a reminder, I wanted to say that the the service that I'm using to send out these podcasts, its name was Wushka. Their service is ending, I believe, at the end of this month. Maybe I'll be able to get one in, in May. I hope to be able to have a new service that I can use that uh, I can continue these podcasts with. If not, you can always follow me on YouTube. I'll be posting these um, regularly on YouTube. Or you can visit my website, www.unfoldingthescriptures.com. I, when I do this, I'll try and let you know during the podcast. And you can probably, what you'll have to do is go back into whatever you're using, whether that's Stitcher, whether it's Apple, iTunes, Podcast, or Podbean, whatever you're using there, you may just have to go through research for the name and uh, resubscribe. So we're looking at Mosiah chapter 5 today. And Mosiah chapter 5 is where we see the results of King Benjamin's teachings. And we begin in verse 2. After King Benjamin completes his sermon, it states that they all cried with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and we know of their surety and truth, because of the Spirit of the Lord Omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us, or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually." What is it that causes a mighty change? I think that's a good question to ask in general. It's a good question to ask yourself as a matter of introspection when you're trying to um, acquire and or gather some sense of how you have gotten to where you're at, spiritually speaking. And generally, we need some sort of change that occurs in us. Now, a lot of the times, because of the uniqueness of our culture, this mighty change has occurred in others, and it gets passed down to us. And it may take time for that law which is passed down to us, the law which was given from previous people who had the mighty change and the spiritual witness. That law and the effects of that change are passed on to us. And then it is up to us to have those written upon our hearts. So a lot of the times, I would say in our more modern lives, for those that probably grew up within the church, they may not have such a dramatic, mighty change moment where they have this extreme light switch that just all of a sudden turns on and everything is dramatic and apparent and conspicuous. And you can look and say, well, this is what happened. I used to be like this, and now I'm like this, and it happened 
in a very brief amount of time. Those are a lot easier to sense. Whereas in many cases, we have more subtle changes that occur piece by piece by piece. Perhaps I learned about the power of fasting a couple of weeks ago, and there was a change in my heart. There was a change in my perception about what fasting is. And then I have that, and it seems like just a small thing. And then maybe a month from now, I, I reestablish a testimony of prayer. And then another month later, I reestablish a testimony in, fa in tithing, let's say. So a lot of the times we have these very specific things, and it's really, really helpful to one, look at what changed, what changed, and then why the change occurred. This, this is actually really common in a therapeutic setting when somebody comes back, maybe you haven't seen them in a month, and they come back and they say, I'm doing so much better. And you should be able to note that that's an unusual occurrence. Generally, if you do nothing, if you just sat there and floated in time and space, you should not be getting better. Generally, the way that the universe works is things continually decompose, deconstruct, and are corruptible. So things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, unless something happens. So whenever something good happens, the appropriate question is to say, what happened? What caused this? What has changed? What caused the mighty change? So at least we can examine from these people specifically. Obviously, the events prior to the mighty change are quite influential. You have King Benjamin, and he gives a sermon and these people listen to the sermon, and something about his words dramatically change who they are. Something in what he is saying to them creates an experience for the people wherein they feel the Holy Spirit. So it's something more than just words. I mean, obviously, there is a scripture in the New Testament that says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In order to, you know, this is, I, I, I focus on this one because this is the experience that we have, but it's also worth highlighting because it's one of the most common. We have a message. A message is communicated to us. And in more in an, in an intellectual way, we process that information and it's just like information. I have that. What is it, though, that gives information meaning? Right now we have this pandemic and there's no shortage of information. You could go online and get information on the coronavirus from one source, another source, another source, and perhaps all three sources have accurate information. The question is, what information is actually meaningful? And it's really strange that human beings actually have a sense of meaning, that we interact with meaning in some way. Because were it not for that, then really life wouldn't have any meaning and there wouldn't really be much discussion or anything it would be a very nihilistic world but something strange about human beings is we experience meaning so information is transmitted to these people through king benjamin they hear his words but they experience something his words are extremely meaningful and what brings them meaning from a theological perspective is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord Omnipotent. It brought them surety and truth. However, there is something worth noting in verse 2. It's a very subtle thing in the way that the verse 
is constructed. Most of the time when we read this, we read a mighty change occurred because of the spirit of truth or because of the spirit of God, which brought them surety and truth. I'm going to read it again and pay attention to the subtlety, though. We believe all the words which thou hast spoken to us. And also we know of their surety and truth because of the Holy Spirit. So that's that's the foundation to it. We believe because of the Spirit, which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts. We, be we believe because the Spirit has caused a mighty change. It's worth associating the mighty change and the Spirit of God together as the, as the thing that brought them belief, surety, and truth. In case you're not following, I'll try and break it down just slightly more because it's a, it's a very subtle thing. What is it that gives us a belief, a sure belief of something that is true? Yes, we say it's the Spirit, but that's just too vague. It's too vague to say the Spirit because what you're going to be asking then is what do you mean by that? The thing that we have more contact with within our own experiences is the change. You can look and say, I was this previously, and now I am this. And then any rational individual is going to look at that and say, what in the world happened? And you would say, it's hard for me to describe what happened, but a change has occurred. Even you can see it. Both of us can see it. By their fruits you shall know them. We can see the fruits of the change. And though the, what caused the change is something we could say ethereal, we could say abstract, spiritual. It's in this different domain that we don't have a tangible grip on what caused the change. We know that a change occurred. And generally, everything in that domain we describe as spiritual. And because the change was positive, we would describe it as a positive spirit. Perhaps because the change was so remarkable, because the change promoted life so much, your own life, as well as the life of others, and, and established deeper connection within yourself, within the universe, and with others, you may label that a Holy Spirit. But we recognize the change, and that's what I'm focusing on, is that's what we have some sort of tangible contact with. I've seen a change. Maybe you've seen a change in someone else. And your curiosity should pull you into observation of what caused the change. And these people recognized the change. And the change was for them an evidence. And that's probably the strongest word that I would like to use, is the change is the evidence. It is the fruit of the Spirit of God. It's what you have as something that you can that you can have as like a, a sure foundation, a witness of what has occurred. Because in most things spiritual, because they're in the spiritual plane, we don't have that, that level of evidence and it's hard to communicate these things. But this is where we have that threshold, you could say, be, between the veil between the spiritual world and the domain of the temporal, that of the flesh. We see the change. We see the change and that fruit is real. And there's something even if you were to, when we, we can maybe highlight this again when we're in Alma. If you were to review Alma chapter 32 again, it, it talks about 
this moment where you have the fruit and you can taste of the fruit and it says like, oh, then is not this real? It's very difficult to define what reality is. And for the most part, the way that society is with our emphasis, you'd say, in scientific intellect, it puts so much emphasis on the temporal world. What we have as our witness, as our evidence, and evidence is such a good word because you think of it like a trial and a case. It says, I need some proof. This is our proof. A change has occurred. Entropy has been denied, in a sense. Entropy has been reversed. What caused this reversal? What caused the mighty change? We observe the mighty change, and that is our evidence. And because of the evidence, because of the change in our hearts, we know of their surety and their truth. Even though it's something that cannot be seen, and even though it is invisible, we have a surety because of the fruit. It's somewhat of a variation on the principle taught by Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 17. It says that if any man will do the will of the Father, he will know of the doctrine, or if anyone will do my will, he will know of my doctrine, whether I speak of God or whether I speak of myself. I may have botched that quote. You can look it up again, John seven seventeen. The principle being is, if you just follow the teachings, if you follow the teachings, the teachings will supply the evidence in and of themselves. And this is something that we rely on tremendously in the religious domain, something that we take for granted extraordinarily, as well as those who proclaim some sort of atheistic foundation, they continue to live a world with meaning. And what they've done is they've adopted many of the Christian principles without any thought of their backbone and foundation, just because they're useful, because they produce good fruits. That when we act courageous, when we act loving, when we act kind, when we act selfless, all of these virtues, when we integrate them into our lives, they bring so much goodness and life and connection. And all these are wonderful things, whether you are of the faith or not, because it takes faith in order to truly act on these things. So the product of the mighty change gives us a surety and a truth and a belief of the thing that caused that. And as I said, that the thing that causes this is always in a very abstract, invisible world that we will label for all intents and purposes because it's the most theological way of dividing this, the spiritual realm. And it is truly the Spirit of God that wrought this mighty change. And what the change was is they have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. Now, the interesting thing there that is, it's cool to think about, this doesn't necessarily mean that they know everything that is good and everything that is evil. That still may be something that is going to be revealed to them line upon line, precept upon precept, civilization upon civilization. We're still in this process of trying to figure out what is truly good and what is truly evil and being able to separate between the two. But more important than just that ability to discern evil and good, which I think is something that we develop over time and is much more of a process, which both we and our critics both need to understand and accept. The more important thing is the fundamental desire, because this is, this is going to be the preface for what happens next in Mosiah chapter 5. It begins with the change 
and they and what has changed i just have something in me that wants to do good and to stop doing evil that truly is by definition a mighty change because it's that desire alone is going to be like a big stream or river that will break off into so many different ways or an artery because i have the background in medicine this this analogy makes more sense to me it's like an artery that's going to feed arterioles and capillaries like your entire um aorta is going to to feed all of the vessels and organs within your technically your whole head your brain and so just once one thing more at the root is going to have so much effect out on the branches and this is a very foundational thing and we emphasize this because where things shift in Mosiah chapter 5 is it's going to progress towards the concept and principle of baptism. Now we believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are first faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second repentance, third baptism by immersion for the remissions of remission of sins. Prior to baptism we have this faith and repentance and Mosiah chapter 5 gives us a more specific and articulated way of trying to understand the necessary conditions for baptism. What is the faith that is needed or prerequisite for baptism? Generally, it would be a faith in God, in the Spirit of God, and this change that's occurring where they have no more desire to do evil but to do good continually. And it's, it's really cool that as part of this, this is a very natural process. In verse 5, the people themselves say, we are willing to enter into a covenant with our God to do his will and to be obedient to, com to his commandments in all things that he shall command us all the remainder of our days. So, this natural progression, I want, I've, I've had this change occur in my life. I have no more desire to do evil. I just want to do good continually. Maybe, like, how can you nourish and foster that change? Because anyone who has ever existed in the real world understands that though you may have a mighty change, it is something that you can let slip. Things can change back. Because of our, our malleability is great because it's a gift and it will allow us to repent and improve ourselves, but it can also allow us to move backwards. I don't know what the backwards um, version of repent is. Is that depent? I'm just kidding. I don't know. The, but we can fall. We can slip. We can actually lose these things that have had dramatic positive effects on us. So how can we retain this? And that was actually something that Mosiah, or not Mosiah, King Benjamin was teaching in the book of Mosiah, is how can we retain a remission of our sins? How do we hold on to this? And we wouldn't be the first to say, perhaps there's something in your words. Maybe you can make a covenant with God, and maybe doing this action, maybe something in this whole ritual of baptism and the covenant is actually helpful in bringing these truths deeper and holding on to them tighter so that they do not slip. Before we go into the baptismal covenant, I want to go back in verse 3. And we ourselves also 
through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his spirit, have great views of that which is to come. And were it expedient, we could prophesy of all things. So we look at this verse primarily because we looked at what caused this, but how did this happen? We're still trying to understand what caused the mighty change. Now we say it's the spirit, but what, like for these people, what is it that happened to them? What is it that happened in them? And the most broad question, the one that I like is, what is it they experienced that led to the mighty change? And again, it's not enough just to say they experienced the spirit of God, because that's too vague and broad to have much communicable meaning. So verse 3 gives us something more specific. The Spirit of God was with them, the Spirit of the Lord Omnipotent. The Spirit of God, it brought them great views of that which is to come. What was to come? That which was to come was the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what they saw. And my experience with experiences that we have a capacity to see without necessarily seeing. What I mean by that is if you were to just close your eyes, don't do this if you're driving, but close your eyes and imagine a tree. Now, in some weird way, you can see a tree, but in a very literal way, you don't see a tree. When I do this myself and I'm doing it right now, I see blackness. That's all I see, very literally. But it is as if behind the blackness is a tree, and, and my imagination is trying to construct that, but I, I don't have that level of imagery. But it is as if I can see the tree. We have ways of seeing things without seeing. That's what that phrase means. And so I don't know to what degree these people saw the things that King Benjamin taught. For all intents and purposes, I may assume that they are real people, more like the stock of you and I, and maybe the way in which they viewed Christ was more like you would view the tree with your eyes closed. There is a way in which they view the Lord Jesus Christ, that they have some sort of ocular percep perception of this. Or it could be the latter, and I'm still open to that, the very dramatic extraordinary experience where the veil is tremendously lifted and they see the Lord Jesus Christ even as Mosiah had been speaking and prophesying of the Lamb of God. Either way, they have a view of that which is to come. They have a view of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the key. These people, they saw Jesus Christ more clearly. So what caused the mighty change? What causes mighty changes? What has caused a mighty change in you? Now, this doesn't have to be universal, but I would say that I would, I would say with some degree of surety that if you did some analysis on your life, you would find that you have had incredible changes in your life that have occurred as your view of the Lord Jesus Christ has improved. And that, that you have had special ways in which you have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Ways in which you have seen his life. Ways in which you have seen actions that he has done. Ways in which you have seen 
his atoning sacrifice that he has made, his death on the cross, his pain in Gethsemane, his willingness to bear your burden, that you have seen his influence in your life. As you have those great views, the Spirit of God being a part of that, in that communication and transmission of this, you have these experiences that have a transforming power. And upon seeing the atonement of Jesus Christ, and we can read some of the phrases that were given to them, and lo, he shall suffer temptation and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and abomination of his people, and he shall be called Jesus Christ. And lo, he cometh unto his own, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. These people, they saw the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, at least what it means. They saw John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. These are the great views. And so as you come to know Jesus Christ, as you draw closer to him, as you hear him, as your relationship with him gets better and better and better and more clear, if we're using a, some sort of a visual analogy, if your vision of him gets clearer and clearer and clearer, it will transform you. It will cause mighty changes in you. It'll have you abandon the disposition to do evil, and it will make you desire to do good, because Jesus Christ is goodness. Not only is he the good shepherd, he is the epitome of goodness. He is goodness embodied. And as you see his embodiment of that goodness, it'll give you ways, uh, like a teacher, it will give you instruction on how you yourself can also be good. And though you may not know it all, just upon seeing Christ, the fundamental desire to do good, wherever that may be and wherever that will lead you in the future, will be in your heart. So what is the prerequisite for baptism? And I'm not speaking of this in a very uh, strict doctrinal sense. I'm speaking of this in the sense of what Mosiah chapter 5 is. Ideally, the desire for what, what precedes baptism is a desire to be baptized. That one's the obvious one. And the desire to be baptized is charged by what we just read in Mosiah chapter 5. This disposition to do good and to no longer do evil. When you have that in your heart and it is real, and then it will naturally flow into the waters of baptism. You'll want to make a covenant. A covenant to keep the commandments of God, which is essentially to continue to do good. Now, what is the baptismal covenant? This is something that is so common because every week we partake of the sacrament and we renew our baptismal covenant. What is the baptismal covenant? Now, this is always a good source for any type of lesson material. And you may be quick to say, what is the baptismal covenant? The things that most people can pull out from their studies is it has something to do with taking upon yourself the name of Jesus Christ, keeping his commandments, and always remembering him. 
those are the phrases that we have from the sacrament, and we know that those are included in the baptismal covenant. I like the directness that we see here in Mosiah chapter 5. We are willing to enter into a covenant with our God to do his will and to be obedient in his commandments in all things that he shall command us all the remainder of our days. What I want to emphasize as part of the baptismal covenant is the gravity of this. It's not just, I want to keep the commandments. It is, I will keep the commandments all the remainder of my days. Because I'm an extreme nerd, I, can, I can't read this without thinking about a knight swearing an oath. I will defend the king for my entire life. There was something much more common in our past where people would bind themselves as if it were for at least, I won't know if it's all for eternity, but at least for all of time, all the remainder of their days. And, and there really was, I would say, so much more of a genuineness with their relationship with time. That when they said, I, if I'm going to make this oath, this covenant, this promise to do something the remainder of my life, I better think about this seriously. And this is what the baptismal covenant is. It's an extraordinarily serious covenant that you're making. It's a little sad that we do this all the way at the age of eight, and there's reasons for it. But a lot of what we understand in the doctrine of the church is a lot of the times we are given things that are somewhat beyond us, and that it's in time that we process them, that they, they get digested. So... Whether you remember this or not as a young kid, it's something that you can renew every single week. So when you have the sacrament, and in these cases, when you're having your home church and the sacrament in your home, it's something worth considering when the body of Christ and the blood of Christ is passed before you. Are you truly willing to enter into a covenant with God that you will be obedient to his commandments and his will, for the rest of your life, not just for tomorrow, not just for the week, but truly for the rest of your life. And in case you're thinking I'm stretching just one verse a little bit, let's look in verse 8. And under this head, the head of Christ, ye are made free, and there is no other head whereby ye may be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore, I would that ye should take upon you the name of Christ. All of you that have entered into the covenant with God, that ye should be obedient unto the end of your lives. Seeing the pattern there? Verse 5, all the remainder of our days. Verse 8, obedient unto the end of your lives. Now, obviously, this covenant's beyond us, and for those who are mature in the gospel, they understand that and the purpose of it and have reconciled that, and that may be the topic of a different discussion. But for now, the point of emphasis is the gravity of the baptismal covenant, that which is renewed every week with the passing of the sacrament. Do you truly take time to consider the oath which you are making and have made with God? Are you truly willing to keep the commandments in all things, all the remainder of your days, until the end of your lives. And in case 
two examples of this is not enough for you. We'll fast forward to the baptismal covenant as it is expressed in Mosiah chapter 18. This is probably the most familiar expression of the baptismal covenant, and maybe we'll get there later. So I want to make sure I have some content for a future podcast, so I won't go into verses 8 through 10 on this with the baptismal covenant. But in verse 13, And when Alma had said these words, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he said, Helam, I baptize thee, having authority from the Almighty God, as a testimony that ye have entered into a covenant to serve him until you are dead, as to the mortal body. I remember when I first discovered this, and it literally, I think, was close to 10 years ago. I had already served a mission and baptized and taught about faith, repentance, baptism, and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't until years later that I'm reading this and I thought, oh my goodness, how how come that has never really been emphasized to me? How come that never has struck in me struck me previously? So around the age of 25, uh, I remember looking at the sacrament completely differently when I integrated the idea of, okay, what am I renewing each week? Am I truly willing to keep the commandments of God, obey his will for the remainder of my life until I am dead as to the mortal body? And I think it's worth just leaving it at that. You'll have opportunity this Sunday with the sacrament. And I I think it would be beneficial to struggle with that idea and what it truly means. And yes, I know that your ability to keep the commandments is is insufficient and maybe like Peter, you'll make that oath and then within the night by the crowing of the rooster, you will have broken that. But it's it's more about the fundamental desire, the mighty change, the desire to keep the commandments of God, a disposition to do evil. Do you truly have that? And, and can you truly find that place in your heart, that light in your heart that desires to follow God no matter what? until the end of your lives. And once you have come to contact with that thing in your heart, that disposition to do good continually, perhaps then you can partake of the water, the bread and the water, and do it with more meaning and with more feeling and renew that covenant to serve God and obey his commandments for the rest of your life. And each week, remember the gravity of that. And not only the the thing about the sacrament, it's not just a renewal of the covenant, it's a witness. So in verse 13, when Alma baptizes Helam, he says, I'm baptizing you. And this action, this, this obscure taking you and throwing you in some water and getting you wet, what's the whole meaning of this weird ritual? Now, I phrase it that way, not because I believe that the rituals are weird, I have a great love and appreciation and understanding of the rituals. I bring it in that light because of that's the thing that is critiqued the most (laughs) within the church is why do you have these obscure rituals? Now, for all intents and purposes, it could have been something completely different. Maybe you do a somersault and you could come up with some meaning behind that. Honestly, I'm not so concerned about what the ritual ends up being other than what it means. And now that we have this, I don't, 
I don't, I'm not looking out there to make grand changes in the ordinances and their role that they serve and the actual performance of them and what they are. But what I want to point out, though, is that this dunking somebody in the water is a testimony. A testimony to who? It's a witness to God that something has occurred. You're trying to show God something has happened. I've experienced something. How can I show this? It's the same question that a teenager is going to ask as soon as he falls in love with somebody. You know what? I just fell in love. I fell in love with this smoking hot girl named Aubrey. And how can I show that? Is there some sort of testimony or witness that I can perform, something I can do to show that this thing is actually real? Now, maybe something has happened inside of you and you want to prove and show and testify to God that this is real. And maybe you will have some evidence that will be shown in the last day that something was real. Though you weren't able to keep the commandments of God in full and measure up to the covenant, what you will have is each week a piece of evidence that said this person must have truly have this desire though their ability to perform it is a little bit weak and lacking. But the fundamental desire is there. And I know it's there because every single week, this person went to a church, they partook of the bread and the water, and they did that as a witness, as a testimony, as a sign before God in heaven that something is inside of them that wants to keep the commandments. It's a faint light obscured greatly by our mortal bodies and the flesh that that entraps it for lack of a better term but we it's worth paying homage to that light once a week it's worth remembering that light once a week nourishing it growing it and expanding it and it's worth showing god that you still know that it's there and remembering it that it is there inside of you the light that guides us towards God, the light that has no other desire but to follow God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this reading of the Book of Mormon has opened and broadened my perspective of the commandments of God. The commandments of God, yes, they are the Ten Commandments, and we would do well to follow them because some of them are more difficult than we recognize. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the words of the prophets. It's very difficult, and, and it's actually kind of a fun exercise to just write down all the commandments that God has for you. What eventually you get is this tremendous list. If you, one, I mean, maybe you don't get the full list, but if you were to keep going and, and make a, a, a couple months of study on it, you'd find, oh my goodness, this list is enormous. I don't have the time or the energy or the resources to keep all of these commandments. It's too much for me. The key within the commandments is the relationship that you're going to have with the Spirit of God. Now, these commandments are not going to contradict the Ten Commandments and the, the bulk of our religious teaching and, and guidance and precedence and instruction. But there will be novelty and there will be specificity in the directions which you get from God. You know, you have a commandment to minister, let's say, but who to minister is more broad. 
you may go throughout your day and see somebody at work that you've seen every day for five years and now you feel something in your heart that says I should share a testimony with them. That is a commandment from God. Though it was subtle and though it wasn't written on stone and delivered in powerful fashion by Moses himself, it still was a commandment from God. And the baptismal covenant is that you will keep those commandments and follow him till the end of your life. What that means to keep the commandments of God is to be like Christ and to embody Christ, to make yourself an instrument of Christ. This is all that's included in the idea of taking upon ourselves the name of Christ. I say unto you, I would that ye should remember to retain the name written always in your hearts, that if you will try to remember Christ, that great view of Christ that you had initially, that desire to be like him, that desire to, to in a, a sense, emulate his life in every single detail. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to take upon yourself the name of Christ. It's to be like him, to do things as he would do, to pray as he would pray, to teach as he would teach, to love as he would love. It's, it's, it's basically synonymous with the idea of keeping the commandments, but I think it gives it a little bit more clarity on what that means. To keep the commandments is to be like Christ. To continue to look at him, to understand him and his life better and better and better. To be able to be willing to go down this path and engage in the process of discipleship, the process of the religion itself, till the day comes that you are able to come to the full measure and stature of Christ. I believe that's in Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. One of Paul's teachings is phrased, till we come to the full measure and stature of Christ. We, right now we have it in portion and in part, and someday maybe in full. But again, the focus and, and essence of that is the desire to have that. And it's so important for us to remember that fundamental desire, that fundamental desire, that mighty change, and how it's able to, to feed all the virtues within our lives. Therefore, I would that ye should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ the Lord Omnipotent may seal you his, that ye may be brought to heaven, that ye may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom and power and justice and mercy of him who created all things in heaven and in earth, who is God above all. King Benjamin's teachings are so incredibly powerful. I believe that they that these people had such a dramatic change because of the uniqueness of Benjamin's way of teaching about the atonement of Jesus Christ within the context of extreme gratitude. He does he emphasizes gratitude in a way that no other prophet has ever done. His emphasis on the debt that we owe to God. That is a great view. That's something worth remembering. So as you interact with God in your prayers, remember to be grateful. Remember to be grateful not just for your food and your shelter and the sunlight and life and good health, the common stuff, 
but remember to be grateful for Jesus Christ. And hopefully you can see that. Hopefully you can see and understand and comprehend the debt that you have. The, the divide that separates you and God. The impossibleness, I think that's a word, impossibleness of the scenario in which you are in. That you have been completely cut off from God and you were lost and would have remained lost forever were it not for Christ. Ye are eternally indebted to him. You owe him your lives. We are unprofitable service servants. Christ filled in that gap. And hopefully the spirit of God in your studies, as you continue to progress along the gospel path, will help you understand the infinity of the atonement, not just in its scale for all of humanity, but in its scale for you and your individual world, your own life how infinite truly that atonement is, that Christ could die for your sins, that he could bridge your shortcomings and create a path to God. As you comprehend that debt, as you comprehend that price that truly has been paid, and you see that, that great view, I believe that that will turn your heart to God, that it will fill you with that desire to follow Christ wherever he may go, to follow his footsteps, that common phrase that came from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, follow me, that as you see that, that life of Christ, that atonement of Christ, that desire to follow him will come so naturally. And these things I believe, and I share them with you. Amen. Your support for this podcast is greatly appreciated. Thank you. You can support this podcast by purchasing one of my books, The Divine Nature or His Voice, The Teachings of the Old and New Testament. These books can be purchased on Amazon or by visiting my website, www.unfoldingthescriptures.com. Thank you and God bless.